0: Kevin said, uh, God knows every molecule that makes us what we are. That's a worldview thing. It's a way to look at our identity and to look at ourselves through what we find in Holy Scripture, because that's what Scripture says. And I'm going to talk to us this morning about Scripture worldview, why things happen, the way they do. Before I get into that, um, I just appreciate that opening prayer and I was reminded that we lost power and it's a terrible inconvenience and who knows, maybe it's a little glimpse of what it would be like, how chaotic it would be like if our power grid did go out which is a possibility. It certainly went out in Texas and and Virginia, parts of Virginia. Um, It reminds me of maybe what it might be like during the end times, uh, where people, rather than coming together, are against each other, not for themselves. Um, it's very tough. But there's a power that doesn't go out. There's a power that's not connected to any man-made grid. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is using His power to sanctify us and to prepare us for the eternal life and the foreverness that we heard about in worship and that opening prayer. So we, some of us don't have power at home yet, but all of us, I trust, are enjoying the power of the Holy Spirit because that is what makes us and what we are. Just out of curiosity, how many here still do not have power? at least a third. Okay, right. Now, just so we can throw something at you, how many never lost power? Wow! That, oh, just one family. Okay. Well, we can throw something at the warrant Mander. <laughs> we don't have bulletins. They never lost power. They're out of the boonies. That's just amazing. You know, God, He works in mysterious ways. Doesn't so I appreciate you all being here, and we haven't met for I think three Sundays. So may God make this. Meaning three times more meaningful and powerful than otherwise. Well, as you know, it was just about this time last year, uh, it was in March, when it really broke open, that is the COVID pandemic. And we had just started a new year, Uh, we had started the book of uh, Corinthians, and we're kind of on a trajectory of hearing what God would have for us in that book, and then I had also started a series called Beautiful Things for Community Sundays out of the song, and then all of that just kind of came to a halt as we were trying to figure out where is this pandemic going, what's going to happen, will we ever be able to meet again, and what is that going to look like? So after wrestling through all that, just kind of decided to put those series and those studies on hold because I really felt like it was important for ...us to learn that together as a church family. The book of Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And we kind of uh, wanted the whole team there, so to speak, as we turn each page, as we look at each verse. And I still have that conviction about that book. I feel like it's, and believe it's important for us to learn that when the whole team is here, whenever that will be. Uh, But the other series, the Beautiful Things series... I'm gonna go ahead and restart that series. Because that series is primarily looking at Psalm 100, which we will shortly, looking at the the simple truths there, and then applying them to what's happening in our world. There are very pivotal cultural decisions, and there's this cultural momentum that's really working up right now, that is contrary to truth that we learn about the scripture, about very, very important things. And because those issues aren't going away, they're only compounding really, I thought, I need to go ahead and and deliver this um, series about beautiful things. Because what God calls beautiful, our culture doesn't call beautiful. I might, even call, I might even call immoral and wrong and oppressive. What we're going to do in this series is tackle some really important issues that are going on. We're going to look at biblical uh, marriage. Is you know, it a covenant? As God says, what's happening to the marriages in our culture? How should we think about marriage? How do you go into it? Should we come out of it? Or is it just a loose social contract? Just a loose agreement that two individuals make for their own convenience to better themselves. We're going to look at biblical humanity and personhood. And you might be surprised at what thinking people actually believe makes a real person or a real human. I was surprised to find out what even our Supreme Court or how our, you know, the scotus defines humanity. So we're going to look at biblical humanity, biblical marriage. We're going to uh, look at biblical sexuality. I mean, it's no secret that our culture is gone crazy when it comes to sexuality and people posing nude for all different kinds of causes using their bodies for all different kinds of things. We're going to look at, okay, that's what we're seeing happen in our everyday life, but what would God have to say about that? Because we're God's people. And then it's kind of a subtitle. Underneath of that is gender identity and homosexuality. mean, What is going on in our world? So what, what's happening is you have um, all these different views about what humanity is, what marriage is, what sexuality is, is there God, is there not a God, and it causes people to land in, in very opposite places. And so we are a becoming even more polarized as a society, and I know politics has a lot to do that with that, and politics right now is really front and center in our culture. But it's deeper in that. The roots go deeper than politics. So we are a very divisive society right now. And I will just say, just briefly, before I read the song, there's a reason for that. If you think about it, okay, so our, our the ideologies are becoming more and more opposed to each other. And I know that sometimes you find yourselves thinking, how can a person even begin to believe these kind of things? or act in that kind of way, and then say it's actually right and good. And we throw our arms up, it doesn't make any sense. Well, that's because we're looking at certain issues through a certain grid, a biblical worldview, or as somebody else, it makes perfect sense to them because they look at issues through another grid or another worldview. And it causes a polarization. Well, we've always disagreed about things in society. It is getting heated up. But what we're seeing, I think, that, uh, more than ever, is people's reaction to disagreements. We've always had disagreements, but what we're seeing is a more violent and angry and, and taking sides reaction, quick to draw lines and make enemies. Uh, we have a cancel culture and so forth. So the, what the Bible calls that is they are perfect examples of deeds of the flesh it's right in Scripture. When you see, for instance, in Galatians 5, it's also 2 Corinthians 12, where the Apostle lays out, here's what it looks like to not operate according to the Spirit of God's way, but to operate instinctively, impulsively, according to your fallen nature. And what happens? You have enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, quarreling, gossip, slander, disorder, conceit. That's our society. I just described our society, didn't I? That's what we see everywhere. So I just want to make you aware that yes, it's, it's about the big ideas, but it's also now people are reacting differently. And that is what Scripture calls the flesh. And We have to be careful because I see many Christians that fit this description In the name of standing for truth. And we have to be careful of that because we love truth. We are the pillar. The church is the pillar and supporter of truth. But that doesn't give us an excuse to step outside and lose our self control and not be guided by the Holy Spirit in guarding the truth. What does it look like? And sometimes the very enemies that we draw a line against, well, according to Scripture, they're actually the people that. How am I going to share the gospel with somebody I just was shaking my fist at in disgust a few minutes ago? So we we have to think deeply about these things. All the things, I know it seems like it's out of control. It's not out of control. It's people either acting according to the spirit or acting according to the flesh and things are unfolding just as God would, would happen. God is in charge. Every molecule under the rulership and the kingship of God in this universe. There's no rogue molecules. That's why as believers, yes, it's it's upsetting. It it upsets me, it riles me, and I have to actually uh, uh, throttle myself in what I read these days because it it will rile me up quickly. I'll be reading an article and I'll just close it. Because I I see what it's doing to my heart and my mind and my spirit. And it's not doing me any good. It's getting me, uh, tempting me to react in the flesh. So we want to just draw near to the Lord. God hasn't changed. God's word stands forever. Today I want to um, reintroduce. And that's kind of what I've already been doing. I want to reintroduce our beautiful things series, I'm just going to call this part one, even though I already introduced it last year about this time, but I've changed some things um, in it, so you probably won't even recognize it. We're going to look at biblical humanity, biblical sexuality, biblical marriage, biblical gender identity. These are huge topics, we're surrounded by them everywhere everywhere. And my purpose in looking at this is not to bash people who disagree with me. I might even step on some toes in here. My purpose is not to bash people. It's to take God's word. He has revealed himself, his ways, right and wrong morality. It's to take that. It's, it's saved us. It's saved us, and we want to introduce that to others when with respect We want to not just alienate ourselves. It's easy just to put people away that don't live according to Scripture, but God calls us actually to reach them. So this series, I hope, will give us a little better understanding of how people can think so, oppositely of us. How can they draw these crazy conclusions, so that we can reach them for the glory of God. It's called Beautiful Things. I'll explain that title in a minute, but let's look at Psalm 100. It's a short song. It won't take long at all, but boy, it is a profound song. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. The thing I I love about this psalm, and the reason I'm using it as a platform for this series, is because this is a perfect example of a big picture of life.
1: This psalmist
0: has what we would call a worldview. When he looks out into the world, and how things are going down, happening, decisions that are being made, he sees God. He sees God as a creator. He sees God as a reason to live. And he sees God as so glorious and wonderful that the whole world should praise him. He is that worthy. And that's called a big life picture or a worldview. God makes Beautiful things he's made, he makes them. And what he makes is good because God is good. That's under question right now. Like never before in our society. Is God, does he exist? And if he does exist, is he even good at all? He makes beautiful things, he has made all of this. Now, of course, we know because of sin, we steady and consistently mess them up and try to destroy the good things that God has made. But through the redemptive work of Christ, he is making beauty out of ashes. The song that we sing, and we're going to sing after the sermon, is entitled Beautiful Things. It's one of our worship songs. And in it, he says all this pain. I wonder if I'll ever find my way. I wonder if my life could really change at all. All this earth." Could all that is lost ever be found? Could a garden come up from this old ground at all? You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of dust. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of us. This little simple song, short song, tackles the toughest questions that we are asking today. And it's not an expository series. No, we don't find gender identity directly in the song, but the root of who we are and the decisions we make, what's right and wrong, it is in the song. It certainly is. This is a great platform to use to tackle these tough questions. And so I look at it as refreshing. You know, in that song, what a profound thing. Can I ever change? You know how many people are asking themselves that today? People that are stuck in sin, they might not even call it sin, but they're stuck in misery. Can life change or not? Is this my story? Or will I ever turn the page and see something? That is a good question. Well, according to Scripture, absolutely. God writes your story. And it's still in process. He is a good What we hear today often is God isn't good as matter. We don't hear it in those terms. We hear Christianity. Those Christians they are ruining everything, imposing their morals, bringing their morals into school and into the workplace, telling me I can't live this way and I shouldn't do that. And people are looking at Scripture and the Bible as archaic and oppressive. People in there that hate women, uh, that the rules are oppressive. You have to dress a certain way and act a certain way and all these kind of things. And we're beyond that. We're above that. That's not freedom. And people really see Christians and Scripture as their enemies today. Because of the teachings that go against their desires and the way that they think the world ought to go. Many think that the path to freedom actually is if we could just loose the bonds of Christianity, if we could loose the bonds of this thinking that there is this absolute standard of a way to live and stop, loose loose ourselves from the bonds of these condemning, judgmental ways, then we will be a free society. I would argue, and I think our scripture argues, actually it's just the opposite. So here's my premise in this. My premise in this series. God makes beautiful things. He does not keep good things from us. He keeps good things good. He keeps good things good. That's what God is doing in this world. We mess them up. Our sin, evil messes them up. God is good, his ways are good, and any rules and regulations are only to make things more beautiful. So he gives us beautiful rules to keep beautiful things beautiful, such as marriage, such as sexuality, such as our gender, such as our humanity, and our personhood. He wants to... Keep these things that he has created good, good, And there's explicit revelation in this psalm. Just unquestionable truth. And they define us. This psalm defines who we are. Especially as a people that worship God. And in this song, it's the big picture, it's what we call a worldview, and I've said it, and I've talked about worldview as long as I've been a pastor, so I'm pretty sure you at least have some idea of uh, what it is, and it's a, it's the way you view the world. Simply put, it's our grid, so we're always evaluating things, we're looking at how the world works, and we all have an idea of what's right and wrong and how the world works, and we're living according to it, It it, it is what motivates our behavior. Uh, if we think money's the way to go, and that's the ultimate life, then we're all then we're going to seek after that. So we're seeking what, after what we value the most, what we hold on to the most, what's the most precious to us. That's our worldview. That's a little more complicated than that, but basically, as our our, our very wise youth about this time last year, we're studying worldview, and I think they said uh, there were four things that made a worldview. Our origins, our uh, meaning, where do we come from? Meaning, I think I'm getting these right. Morals, how do we know what's right and wrong? And then destiny, where are we going? Where do we come from? Why are we here? How do we know what's right and wrong? In other words, how do we live? Is there a right way or a wrong way to actually live and make decisions to leave my family? And then where are we going? When we get into 2 Peter He talks about, well, we're already into it, but when we get to the part of the chapter where he talks about God's judgment. He tells us where we're going. And the problem with many people today, including believers, is we forget where we're going. We forget that there is a judgment. You see, when you realize that you have to face a God, a holy God, a powerful God, for every offense against him... That should change the decisions we make here and now with boots on the ground. But we have people who are living and making decisions as if there is no destiny of judgment. That's a worldview. See, it all comes into what? Secularism is a worldview. So we look at every day and we say, this is the... The, the day the Lord has made, we shall rejoice and be glad in it. That's a world view. That says God's a creator. Look at the sun. Look at the ice on the trees. It was beautiful. Even as it destroyed our trees. And destroyed our power. But it was beautiful. It looked like a Christmas wonder. Well, secularism doesn't believe in Bible. Say, actually, you know, this is just a day. It's another meaningless day in, in, in a revolving, meaningless world. So, there's no reason to be excited or to rejoice because it's impersonal. Nothing to rejoice over. So, personal versus impersonal, all these things that we are uh, encountered with every day have to do with truth and worldview, and everybody has one. So, no one makes a decision disconnected from a worldview. So very quickly, what's the psalmist's world here? What's explicit here? Well, first, he looks at the world and he sees God. He's the creator of all things. He created people. He created trees, dirt, grass, animals. This is God and his world. God exists. Second thing he sees is that God is the Lord. In other words, there's really no other. don't waste your time giving yourself or making sacrifices to any other deity. This is the one and only true God. Third, he trusts that everything God says is true. Because all his ways are good. But when God speaks, you can trust this God. He's not going to mislead you. And we live in a society, we are so on edge. You know Why? One of the reasons is because we don't even know what to believe anymore. We don't even know who's telling the truth anymore. Are we being deceived? Is this another misleading contract I'm about to sign with Vibrant? Is this another article that's going to leave me and get all wrong about something that's not even true? God is good. God is true. We can, we can trust this. And so, therefore, God is at the very center. Isn't it obvious? God is at the center of this psalmist's life. Because he sees God in everything. He thanks God for everything. And he invites everybody else to thank God for everything. So God is his true, ultimate reality. That's a biblical world. What is truth? God is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth. In life. So you can count on this. We go on the rock of truth. Now, if that's so, then it makes sense that a false worldview that's misleading, that's not true, will not wind up in human flourishing. It will wind up in some form of sickness or destruction. So, false worldviews have bad consequences. Sooner or later, it catches up to so, for instance, we, uh, for decades now, our culture, modern culture, has been saying truth is relative. It doesn't really matter that much. What's true for you, you keep on that, that, hold on to that. That's what brings you meaning. If you want to believe in God, fine. If you don't want to believe in God, fine. It doesn't really matter because there's no real absolute right and wrong or reality, you just make up your own, it's relative to your situation, so, you know, this culture has its rules, this culture that's part of the world has its rules, no no one nation or government is any better than the other, it's just all relative, so that's the worldview that we have been taught for many decades now, but all of a sudden, truth really matters have you noticed? All the articles about misinformation and fake news. Well, all of a sudden, when it comes to politics, see it's okay for truth to be relative until you start lying about my candidate. When you start lying about my candidate, he might not become the leader of the United States. Well, that's just wrong. Don't be spreading that misinformation. See, now all of a sudden, truth matters, and we hear, like, there should be consequences. You should be punished for these kind of lies that you're telling. It's deception. Now, see, in real life, truth does matter. What a mess we're making for ourselves. You say one thing, but then now, a matter of fact, I read, a, um, I read this article in the New York Times. I couldn't believe my eyes, and I was so excited to share it with you, but now it's kind of old because we haven't left for so long and I actually haven't read anything else about it so I think it might have just flopped. But I could not believe that in the New York Times that this writer recommended that the Biden administration appoint what he called a reality czar or a truth position. Now again, I don't think it went anywhere. I hope. I hope. Nobody took it too seriously. That is crazy. Well, it, it's, it's generated from the need to stop spreading misinformation, especially political misinformation, because it hurts people. It riles people up. It lies damage. We know that. That's true. So we need somebody in control of this. So, no damage control, right? Politically, anyway. That's the motivation. Well, it sounds great, and lies do hurt. But he recommends putting a board, a truth commission together of human beings to determine what's real and what's not, what's true and what's false. Well, that's scary. So who gets to be on the board? Is it bipartisan? So in these four years, it's the Democrats get to tell us what is real and true, but in the next four years, depending on who wins that, the Republicans. Republicans get to tell us to define reality and what's true. Well, yeah, you can publish this. You can publish, can't publish that. It's it's it is limiting and throttling the flow of ideas in a free speech society. This is scary stuff, and that's why I'm glad I'm not reading any more about it. But if humanity is put in charge, especially the government, put in charge of defining what is true and real. Oh, you think it's bad? quality here and that's why we need God's word we're desperate for God's word we can't trust ourselves we need this God is good God speaks truth so that's an example of well of following after this false worldview of relativism it doesn't matter it doesn't go away and then all of a sudden matters when it comes to politics and you lying about my candidate false world have consequences. God defines truth, and we were created to be fulfilled as we align ourselves, and even view ourselves according to what God says about us, in spite of our feelings, in spite of how high he We are most joyful or glorified when God is glorified in us. That's the ultimate purpose of our existence, to glorify God through believing in His Son, Jesus Christ, believing that He came to redeem our fallen selves and this world. So, it all matters. This marriage matters. Going to school matters. This is God's world. Education, knowing truth, experiencing, interacting with one another, social relationships matter, justice matters, morality matters. Community decisions matter. Doctors and lawyers and toys and playing, children, and having babies, it all matters. God created it all. And we want to do the best we can to get it right. And so we try and strive to build on the rock. The rock being God's truth instead of the sand, because we are watching world views just wash away. And people's lives right along with them. God's truths are beautiful. They are life-giving, not life-taking. See, sin and falsehood, it, it saps us from life. It robs us from life. We read verses like Romans um, 3.23 for the wages of sin death. I recently read an uh, author, he said, um, when you sin, something somewhere some time dies. So the world view is sin brings death. Our sin, it kills marriages, it kills family organizations, it kills governments, it kills covenants, it kills peace, joy, it kills pleasures, it kills purity, it kills security and safety, and it kills love, it kills relationships, and ultimately it will kill a soul for eternity, eternal damnation. Sin is death, and that's why we have to talk about the things that bring life. If you look in our modern day culture, we find things that bring death. We look at, uh, we, we look at failed marriages. We look at abortion. Uh, we look at different parenting techniques. Uh, we look at the whole identity, uh, uh, identity, gender identity issues. You know, if what God says is true, these things are harming people, souls that God desires to flourish. So we want to be informed. We want to be able to see the big picture so that we cannot put people off, put them off and get them angry with God's truth, but invite them in to praise a worthy God and live before Him and see the joy of Him. So I want to look at just a few examples, and this, again, this is an introduction to where we're headed. I want to look at a few examples, and then hopefully um, close with just a, a brief description of how did we get here. How can we look at each other like this and make these kind of um, decisions? So a few examples of maybe where our culture is lying modeling. So, uh, like most kids... My age at the age of twelve, I ate Wheaties a thing. You know, if you guys have your cereal, I don't know what's popular. Well, we hardly ever have cereal, but when I was growing up it was a big family, there was five, six, seven boxes of cereal in the public all the time. We all ate it for breakfast. Well, there was a phase where Wheaties was a big thing and Wheaties was a big attraction because um, it had usually a famous athlete on the box, and you could see that athlete—a great picture—and then read some uh, interesting information about them. And so, I'm 12, and I'm a big hit on the Wheaties box. Was Bruce Jenner, right? Bruce Jenner. I mean, I, I saw him on the box. He's a big seller. And people loved Bruce Jenner because he won the decathlon in the 1976 Olympics. He brought home the gold for America. And we watched him on TV, and we cheered him on, and he had it together. This guy was a great athlete, and many young men aspired to be him. Who wouldn't want to be like Bruce Jenner? And so while many aspired to be like him, only to find out Bruce did not actually want to be himself. And as famous as he was, as popular as he was, as culturally accepted as he was over the years, he struggled with his gender identity. And in April of 2015, as sure most of you know, he had a sex change. And Bruce Jenner gave way to Caitlyn Jenner, And so the the person that I'm 12, I'm looking at him and my culture is saying, he's a hero, he's a hero, be like him. And then in 2015... Now my culture is saying, he's a hero, he's a hero, now he's a she, he's a hero, be like him, aspire to be like him, he's brave, he's courageous, now he found his true self. What do I do with that? Which one is it? Was he a hero back here, or is he a hero here? So it's heroic, heroic to change your identity? What, what part do we applaud that's just a personal experience for me. It can be pretty confusing to live in this time today, isn't it? Can you imagine for the kids? Well, how about this one? I'm close with this one. We're going to go a little long today, let's so you know. People got heat, got running water, all good. So, December 2019, if you happen to be reading the publication of what's called the Mira, in the United Kingdom, you would see a. Big headline. If I'm not mistaken, it was front page. And this hunt headline said, I already know I'm going to have to read it more than once. Here's the headline. Transgender man gives birth to nine non-binary partner, like, partners baby with female sperm donor transgender man gives birth to non-binary partner baby with female sperm donor. What? What? Oh. Now, the picture showed this strap and die with a goatee on the birthing table for your gut and tap. On the birthing table, ready to give birth to a baby. He did give birth to a baby. And his non-binary partner... The next picture is his non-binary partner. Yeah. Non-binary meaning... I refuse to be identified as anything. Don't call me a male, female, whatever. I'm just whatever I want to be. But nothing at the moment. Non-binary. So, with another picture of him... On the birthing table with his beard and so forth. It's pretty obviously a man. And then with his partner... And they're so happy... Because now they have a real baby thanks to this female sperm now How in the world is that possible? It's not. In real life, it's not. So, is this a scientific breakthrough? No, it's not a scientific breakthrough. What happened is this. Of course, it's being applauded. And encouraged. It's just the most wonderful thing that times we live in. But what really happened is, the man on, in the picture, he wasn't man. He was a woman. He still had all his girl parts. And that's why he could give birth to a legitimate baby. The binary partner, I don't know. Whatever. But the the, the female sperm donor, you mean females can help? No. Scientifically, that's not possible. This was a man that still had all his man parts, but he just decided he was a woman. So he's going to donate his female sperm See this woman who decided to be a man so that the non-binary couple can have a relationship. It's not scientific. doesn't work in real life. But see, this is our world right now. And what do you do with that stuff? Because people applaud that kind of thing and think it's uh, it's moving us into a better place and we are a freer society. When we get to be whatever we feel like we need to be at the time, including ourselves. So how did we get here? I'm just going to really streamline this because I see that what time it is. It's old thing. It has to do with this philosophical thought way all the way back with Plato about life, humanity, the world, and it's called dualism. And Basically, these philosophers, or at least Plato did, not all of them, uh, they look at the world and they say, the, the, the conceptual things, the immaterial things are what's really, really good, and the material things are not. So truth, thinking of virtues, um, those are the beautiful things. Goodness, beauty, they're the beautiful things. But the material things are ugly, they hold us back. So, what it turns out to be is the mind and the soul is good and, and, and the body is pretty much bad. You just gotta put up with it. So, how that transcribes into our modern day thinking is that we live, uh, our modern day thinking is somewhat dualistic in that our mind is superior and our body's just kind of there along with the line and we can do what we want with it. Our bodies are inferior. Mind. So, if I decide my, to make my body or do something with my body, uh, it's okay because it's not really connected to me. It's just something that's there. Eventually, I don't really have it. So, we live in a society, again, I'm really simplifying this, but we live in a society where somebody can do whatever they want with their body, no matter how heinous we think it is. And come away thinking to themselves, I haven't done anything wrong because my body doesn't really count. It's just a tool that my mind can use to satisfy itself. And it doesn't make me immoral or impure because it's not really a part of who I am. I'm still a respectable person. I could be a prostitute, but I'm still a very respectable person. Because it doesn't really matter what I do, and I can change my identity. Because what's important is that my mind is fulfilled, my mind is satisfied. It's not important if I hack and change and pierce and tattoo or cut or change or have any kind of operation. That's not even. This is just material stuff. It's on the earth, and it doesn't matter. So that's just a kind of a little glimpse into how people can actually make some of the decisions. How can you justify aborting a life? Well, there actually is a reason behind that we will look at these things as we continue so we need to know this in order to be the church in order to be salt light in order to help a dying society where we see more and more beautiful things in relationships dying Jesus says I am the way I am the truth I am the life and nobody comes to the father but by me that's real life that's our story And we want to live according to it and scripture. And we should invite the whole world to join in worshiping this glorious God. We get to do that for the remainder of our time here this morning. He gives us truth. He gives us rules not to restrict us, but to keep his beautiful things beautiful. So let's continue to worship our worthy, beautiful God.